Hello, and welcome to Heroes Prefer Crossbows, the podcast that you should try and wait an hour and see how you feel. I'm Greg Smith. I'm Matt Smith. No, no relation. relation. Today we'll discuss what we've played over the last six months, including Dreams, Final Fantasy IX, Apex Legends, Persona 5, Witcher 3, the new Oculus VR headsets, and returning to Sea of Thieves. Let's party. audience has heard a really good cover of a song from Deltarune, but I just wanted to put that in there to have a frame of reference to kind of show how good my cover is. So I, uh, I'm just going to play that real quick. Ready? All right. I wait on bated breath. I'm actually doing it right. Oops. She had it. Damn it. I don't remember the low note. Oops. See, it's this is actually a lot better. You you got you got it. All right, I did it. Um, let's talk about dreams because that's what I was just playing today. Um, what do you know about dreams? Uh, I don't know much about it at all, actually, other than the fact that it is a PS4 exclusive. And it is a game that lets you make, I don't want to say exclusively games, but experiences. Is that, um, am I on the money there at all? So it's basically, did you play Little Big Planet? Bits and pieces. So it's by Media Molecule, who's the developers of that. And it's kind of, I never played Little Big Planet for some reason that's oh i didn't have a which playstation was that for that was no, PlayStation three three i have a three i, I was an xbox I, I 360 generation yeah yeah I, I i was also on the xbox 360 generation my friend had a ps3 so i played a little bit the of, 360 uh, nation generation oh, oh so what's dreams all about <laughs> i was like i'm gonna let this pause sit here for a second <laughs> like i'm not i'm not proud i'm not a proud man um, so it's a, it's a game, well, um, for, for making art and games and it has systems for sculpting and logic and music and painting and puppets and animations and character animations and any animations and special effects. And there's, they, I've never seen tools that were so powerful yet so easy to use combined. And it's all wrapped in a package of, uh, delightful British people, um, politely yet whimsically explaining to you how uh, the surreal world of dreams is yours to explore and all of its um, hedonistic glory. And it came out in early access uh, on April 16th, and it's only 30 bucks. I don't know if that's the price it's going to be forever, but hmm. um, it's probably worth 300 bucks, 3,000, nay, a million. Um, oh, wow, that escalated so, quickly. <laughs> and if you can... Uh, uh, when you start playing, you can create or one of the main operations of the game, so to speak, is dream surfing, which just takes you through random things people made. And you can 
play them out. Sometimes they're not even, sometimes they're games. Sometimes they're just like, some people just have made a lot of sculptures and they've made dreams that are just sculpture gardens of stuff they've made that you can walk around and look at their art. So it's um, like an art installation. It can be like an art installation. It could be kind. an art installation. It could be, it's kind of designed for the kind of the path of least resistance is 3D platformer, which is amazing because 3D platforms are not easy to make. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that kind of leads you down that path. But the engine, people have used it to make 2D platformers. People have made space shooters. People have made all kinds of stuff with the engine. Um, hmm. It's got physics and it's got camera controls and it's got all of this. It's got like everything you would want in a game. And the main concession to make it simple enough for you to actually do it is that the art style is like based on this kind of like painterly effect. Everything is made of something called flex, which are just little like brushstrokes. Even 3D solid objects are basically made of these. Um, and And you can like must them up like you're messing up someone's hair or like comb them in a direction or cause them to animate in a direction and that might turn into into a, a block that you use for a river and this is all kinds of um if, if you're um you know willing to work within the confines of the art style to a certain degree um and it is a it's like a, a great art style it's like surreal and magical um hmm. you can really make anything so is um, like the art style, like the, the programmatic tool you use to define how the the game works or the, the content you're creating works? Is that what you're saying? Um, it's really hard to describe, but let me take you through what it would be like to make a game. <clears throat> you could go into the sculpt tool and pick cylinder and then stamp a cylinder and that's the ground. And then you could go into its settings and like say it's blue and this one's a little loose and rough, so it looks like like grass. And then you could um, you could there's a default object called a puppet, which is like you know those mannequins that you not mannequins those little things you use for painters like artists use for like mm-hmm. you could yeah, yeah, you yeah. can like it's basically one of those. And it's got built-in animations and control, so you get to slap that in the game, and all of a sudden you've got a, a character. And then you can uh, scope into it, which basically means like edit an object, and then you could like paint a face on it. You could like sculpt a shirt onto it, and scope back out, and then say I want an obstacle. Then you could hit search and search the Dreamiverse, the collection of everything that everyone has ever published in the game, and search. Um, tree and then go through a collection of trees people have made and then paste a couple of them into your game and then like all of a sudden you've got a 3d game where you can walk around and interact with some bump into some trees and you can kind of keep going from there that's cool that you can kind of pull in the assets that other people have made so like anything it sounds like really anything you can create somebody else can sort of appropriate for their own work you have to publish it so you have to publish it okay um you're you're totally welcome not to do that um, so there's people um, who just make stuff to be used in other games. Like, for example, I have made a, mini- a miniature, miniature golf game. And as far as I know, I'm the first person to make one because I couldn't find one. Um, <laughs> but I mean, awesome. it, it's very it's very early, right? It came out. Oh, I watched your video. You showed me a video of, of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I made another hole in the, I made the third hole of the game today. Um, and I'm now proficient at it that I was able to make a hole in like a few hours. Um, How much? How much, um, like, how much granularity is there in terms of like 
how you program or define how things react? Like, is there a way to say like, if this, then that? Yeah. Uh, so there's the-, the way, the way that works is that you can, um, there's all kinds of, well, there's three categories of, well, there's, I think more than three, but there's three main categories of gizmos they're, they're called. Okay. Uh, one, one category is sensors. And there's like an area sensor, which is if something enters into this area, this sensor activates. And then you have logic um, gizmos, which are like math or like logic gates or um, things. And then there's other, um, then there's a, another ca- category of gizmos, which are like output, like an, I'll put a number to the screen, um, apply a force onto an object, rotate an object. And so you can really com- combine those however you want. You could say, um, to make a button, you would say, you would sculpt a button, like paste a cylinder or something, and then you would add a sensor on top of it. And then let's say that button raises a platform. You would attach that sensor to the animation for the platform. And animations are their own things, which you can like create and have their own inputs and outputs. Everything has inputs and outputs that can be wired together. Everything. Like, you can wire a button to the mu- part of the music. You can wire wow. um, you can wire the music to um, uh, a color of something. Like, you can, th- like, everything can be combined however you want. So it's sort of, it's got an element of, of Baby's first programming language uh, built into it, it sounds like. Yeah, it's... It's it's interesting. Like not it's, not a, it's not, not a language. It's, yeah, it's not really. It's definitely Con- concepts. Programming concepts. Yeah, this is like. It's. I would say the tool is powerful enough that there's very little desire to program. Um, instead, you're mostly if your game is getting complicated, you have a lot of wires between objects, and they have tools for organizing them. Like there's a a widget that's that's just called a microchip. And that's this where you can, a widget that you put other, a gizmo that you put other gizmos inside, and then you can like pin the wires together so they're organized. It feels, um, yeah, so it's definitely like the logic part of programming, but not the syntax part. Right. It kind of yeah. reminds me of, uh, you ever heard of, I'm sure you've heard of Scratch. Yeah, um, yeah. Small it, talk, it, right? It, right. It kind of yeah. reminds me of that only like with a more, you know, obviously 3d slash artistic spin on it yeah it's a lot like <clears throat> those types of tools um i use small talk i use squeak in the school which is similar to scratch i think got it um cool and i'll have and, to check it out and you don't have to do any logic or programming at all you can search the dreamerverse for go-kart slap it into your game and just make a level for the go-kart nice so you so, uh, so it's very scalable in terms of like how much uh work you need to put into it yeah and that's one of the great things about it uh, is that um the systems of it that i haven't learned yet like i haven't learned how to make music in it yet but i can still have music in my game just by using someone else's so it lets you make full things no matter how much of it you've learned so far which is important because being able to make every part of a whole game by yourself is an insane amount of learning um not just because of learning the game in fact, learning the game makes it very accessible. But just like, um, I was watching a tutorial about sculpting a human face, and it was like, oh, I'm not, I'm learning this game to some degree, but I'm also learning about sculpting right now. 
Um, same with making music. Like, sure, I could learn the tool, but that doesn't mean I know music. I, I can write good music. But sure, sure. Um, but it really is an avenue to explore any of those things as far as you want. It, which makes it feel very limitless. How um how well optimized is it um for uh, a controller based interface? Uh, I'm um, glad you asked. Um, so I'm using it on the um PS4 controller and. They made incredibly good controls. They have really good conventions, like scoping in and scoping out is this concept that applies to everything. If you sculpt into a sculpture, you can modify it. If you scope into a microchip, you can see the widgets inside of it. If you scope into a group, you can see the items in the group. And so like navigating through all of these concepts feels very natural. and the biggest limitation is the motion. It uses the motion controls for fine movement, and the mm. motion controls on the PS4 controller. And trust me, this is good motion controls, except for one thing. It drifts a little bit, and you have to recenter all the time. Uh, that's um, too bad. Yeah, yeah. I feel like PS4 motion controls have never quite gotten it right. Yeah, so you can also play with the move controllers, which are their like. What would you call those, like VR controllers? I mean, I guess just like motion controllers, like dedicated motion controllers. Yeah, one for each hand. Uh, um, does it support told, PSVR? It will, but it doesn't yet. Hmm. And that's going to be unbelievable. The fact that you can do this and in VR, holy moly! Um, but I, I'm told that the the move controllers are better for some things, like sculpting. But some those other things, the controller is better for, especially since you're if you're making a game. It's probably going to be played with a controller anyway. I wonder if, do you know if it's, um, if there are any plans for it to come to other platforms eventually? I don't know. Probably not. Cause little big planet was only on PS4 forever. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think, I think maybe they're one of those companies like Naughty Dog that is, um, partially owned by Sony, but I'm not sure. I don't know. I would believe it because. It just it just seems it seems like one of those I don't know it, it feels like one of those situations but I don't know why. Um, so one of the things that Dreams is so amazing that I really think it could become a bigger thing. It feels like it's it's bigger than the PlayStation Four. It feels like you could make better control a better controller for it. You could make. Um, You can make it cross-platform. It feels like it could become so much bigger than the PS4 game if that were to happen. Um, but I don't know if that would happen. And, and I don't know. It, it may just be like... It also, I also may be overestimating how popular something like this could become because it does require a lot of work to get into it. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very much up my alley as ter- in terms of somebody who likes to like tool around in video games and, and build things in video games. So I definitely will have to check it out. Um, and I think there's definitely, you know, an appetite for that when you look at things like Minecraft and base building and No Man's Sky and any any yeah. game that lets you sort of, um, you know, build even in the in the most simplistic sense of the word, um, even though this seems like a little, it's, it's a bit more complicated than, than just building bases and structures and so forth. But Yeah, it, it, I would... I, I played through all the tutorials and then I watched, I still watch YouTube videos and I'm in the discord constantly whenever I'm working. I think it was like 
probably five hours before I could really start on doing what I wanted to do with it, which is a lot. That's sure. Yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a bit of an onboarding process for the average player. That's longer than I play many, most games probably. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, I think I went into it with a high ambition of, hey, I, I've made games before. I'm going to make a game with this. And I think developing a full game might not be the first thing you try to do with it. Um, you got to walk before you can run. Yeah, re- remixing an existing game or something like that would probably be a better place to start. Yeah, I mean, I think like I, when I dipped into computer science for the first time, uh, I used Scratch to basically make a Space Invaders clone. So I think if you can sort of like take a point of reference and just make like a, a similar or even an exact copy of a game you've played before, then that's sort of a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so I definitely recommend anyone who's interested in game development, even if if they're like they haven't gone into it and would like to dreams would be great if you're already a game developer and um no well, sp- if you're like me i've um you know as professional engineer software engineer i've made some games in my spare time before this is amazing because i can make a game in a matter of hours instead of months like i can spend an afternoon making mean- meaningful progress on a game and that's great because one of like you know um i've kind of Game development is what got me interested in software to begin with, but um, I'm told that the game industry is a pretty tough industry to work in, and there's a lot of crunch time, and uh, especially if you're working at one of the more, you know, the more desirable names to work at. Um, and I like I, li- I like working forty hour, forty hour weeks. Um, I also don't want to d- dedicate all my free time to making games. Like I, at the end of the day, I don't want to stay in front of the computer so just having a way to do make games which is something i love doing in a way that i can fit into my life as an adult is freaking awesome yeah that's great it seems like for a lot of people out there that might want to get into making games you either have the choice of being part of a big company and be being pushed into a culture of crunch um as sort of the demands um of of development require or you do it just by yourself or with a very small group of people. So and it's, not, it's not the demands of development by any means. It's the demands of, uh, um, um, making com- money com- companies. Well, it's not even, I, I, let's take this example of, um, that came up in the news recently of, um, Fortnite. Was it Fortnite? Developers having like massive crunch. Epic, yeah. Epic, yeah. CD um, Projekt Red was also recently in the news for that. Yeah, uh, the Fortnite one was was recent for me, and they have an aggressive content schedule where they're releasing new cons- content on a constant basis, um, and that content is what they sell. They you can spend money to get loot boxes. This loot box is that what Fortnite has? as loot boxes. I th- it certainly has loot box-esque some some way of spending money to get cool clothing so they have to constantly turn on clothing um and the thing is that's kind of the like oh you can get money from having it's like it's like the 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 gap between developer designer artist creative time and getting money back the, the link has never been so short in game development. So I think the company is just, was like, oh, wow, if they, 
we can squeeze harder and then more money comes out. And and so they're like, oh, well, let's just keep doing that. And it only works for, in many cases, it only works for the biggest companies that people want to work for the most because when people quit, someone else is happy to take the job and do the same thing. Um, I've heard similar stories about Amazon, honestly. Um, but the one, it probably doesn't work for everybody. It probably works for the the biggest companies creating this like this cycle of um, eternal creative agony, and it also um, doesn't have to be. It isn't the only way to be successful. It's just the the most short sighted, easiest, laziest one. Um, but 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 maybe in the game development industry, the the alternative is harder to see because. The, the the way people buy games and play games has changed so much. Um, maybe it's the maybe it's the only option right now, and we need to find new options. And I think that's why uh, Respawn, the developers of Apex Legends, are trying something new by saying fewer, fewer more meaningful up, fewer more meaningful updates. Um, they said they, they don't want to be grinding out new content for you to buy constantly. Um, they want to be working on interest, like big, interesting things. And the result of that hasn't really been seen yet for Apex Legends. Um, and everyone's saying Apex Legends is dying, dying, their numbers are going down constantly. Well, they're basically not doing what Fortnite did, which is become a tr- overnight hit sensation success and then try it as hard as they can to hold on to that. Apex, I, th- I feel like Respawn has kind of said, we can't. We, ca- we can't stay the... We can't keep the player base as the size as it was during when we were in an initial fad, and we're not going to, you know, grind all of our stuff in, into the ground in order to try to hold on to it. We're going to admit that this is a long game. Yeah, I think um, it's very admirable of them to sort of acknowledge that that kind of um, that kind of structure just isn't really sustainable. Um, you know, at least on a on a human level, like you. Yeah. I'd like to believe it's not sustainable for the for the business either, but um, I think I think you know I think every every game burns bright and fizzles over time. I think that's true of of all games, you know, to you know on various time scales, um, but particularly with battle royales, which are you know one of the brightest and shiniest uh, examples of this in the game industry. Um, I, th- I think they're a genre that in and of itself, just looking at the genre as a whole is something that I think uh, we, we are watching um, the slow evolution of that genre. And I, th- but I think even, even the entire genre will eventually start to lose steam over time. And that's just the cycle of how we play games and how people interact with them. I just hope we find a new model of <clears throat> paying for games that actually works for everybody. Um, I get that like $60 one-time fee to buy a game doesn't cover the costs of AAA games these days. Um, and that's where they've turned to these alternate methods of monetization. But I think the alternate mo- methods of monetization they found... Don't work either. There's got to be some like way. Them. There's got to be some way 
Uh, yeah, including like governments who are like banning, yeah, including loot. including potential legislation uh, that may be introduced into the United States Senate that may ban loot boxes. Yeah, for for children's games at least for like. Well, the but, thing but, about that that bill but, is like but, it's it's written in such a way that like it's so open ended and so vague that it basically could ban all loot boxes in all games, or at least the way it's written right now. Who knows yeah, if well, it, A will get passed and B will get changed? But yeah, but I mean. That's great and all, but on the other hand, like, I don't want what I don't that want that legislation to be like. Oh, now we can't afford to make games, so all these shops close down. Like, they right. they need to find the way to make to play games that does work for everybody. And the legislation think- like might force people to try to find it more. I just hope they find it. I hope they find a consumer friendly way to monetize AAA games that um, people are happy to pay. Hopefully we will get there. Um, so we spent an awful lot of time talking about dreams, which uh, and and the gaming industry. Um, yeah, well, we, let's just talk until we're done talking. All right. So, uh, do you want to talk about the the last the ninth last fantasy? <laughs> yes, um, I think that one I want was much to say about. So I was on I was flying to New York for a wedding. And I was like, what can I do for seven hours of flights each way? And I just saw, oh, Final Fantasy IX is on Switch. I'll download it. I remember I didn't really like it at the time. Um, and I think that's mostly because I wanted it to be Final Fantasy VII again or Final Fantasy VI again. And it's super not that. And um, what year did that game come out? Uh, I'm going to look it up. F- Final F- Fantasy IX? I would guess. I'm going to guess like two, uh, nine, nine, 1999, 2000, 2001? 2000, 2000, 2000. Very good. Um, <clears throat> so, so I guess I was in high school then. So yeah, I was an edgelord high school student who wanted um, Sephiroth back. Um, and so now I, I just kind of remembered not liking it. And so now coming back to it, I find it extremely charming, extremely good writing, extremely polished, a beautiful world that's delightful to explore i didn't i don't think i ever really realized until this time playing it that it seems like it's really inspired by miyazaki films um particularly laputa castle in the sky have you seen that seen that uh, i have seen howl's moving castle okay it's a different miyazaki actually no howl's moving are they both miyazaki they're both ghibli at least there's bo- definitely um, both studio ghibli yeah yeah um but anyway, it's that kind of aesthetic. And interestingly, also, the reason I say Laputa in particular is that there's airships. Um, there's a band of sky pirates with a captain with pink hair, uh, Captain Dola and Baku, respectively, and a protagonist who is, is uh, monkey-like either in character or in the literal presence of a monkey tail with Patsu and Zidane. Um So it's like, oh, I think they really we're going for that kind of feel. And I think I appreciate that a lot more now. Um, getting into it, there's four main characters, I would say, and two of them are very meh and two of them are very good. So basically Zidane's the main character. He's the monkey boy. And his character is that he's horny and (laughs) (laughs) he's a 16 year old who pretends to be worldly and may or may not actually be. And, has like very flat like attempts to be charming lines like one-liners and they really just do nothing 
And then the romantic interest, Princess Garnet, her character is that she is a princess and that she's vulnerable and that's her whole personality. And like, oh, these two characters are so cookie cutter and bland. However, there's two other main characters. One of them is Steiner, who is a knight who's protecting the princess. And he has this whole, he's a comic relief, but he's also an admirable, strong figure who like zealously pursues his ideals of being a, like a, you know, a, a good knight and doing what's right for his kingdom, but also like, struggles to kind of see outside of his limited worldview. Um, and his he kind of reminds me of, uh, based on your description, at least he kind of reminds me of a uh, frog from Chrono Trigger. Um, imagine if frog was much more goof, much more like a middle-aged, a middle-aged man, a little more disgraceful, <laughs> like not as okay. Frog was very cool. Steiner is not cool at all. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and then the other main character, I know there's more characters. I consider these four to be the mo- four to be the main characters. This is Vivi, a black mage who is um, you know, a mysterious looking figure. You can't see Vivi's face and know what he really is. And um he doesn't know and, and he so the one of the kingdoms in the game is mass producing black mages like him to wage a war and they're mindless automatons and for some reason he's not and he basically has to struggle with um being a being a thing that was created for war and trying to find a, 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 his own meaning in life and it's actually uh it's it's very like easy to summarize like oh he's this is a walking talking existential crisis but it it, it actually is a good foundation to um, have some nice themes as he discovers, um, you know, the, the, the good in the world and so on. So that's my feelings on Final Fantasy IX after having played maybe the first 10 hours after not playing it since 2000. I was going to say, was this your first time through it or it was, it was a revisit? I, re- I played it when it was, I played it all the way through despite the fact it wasn't my favorite at the time. Um, I hope it ca- continues to capture my interest. I feel like it's slowing down a little bit, but as games do, you know, the first few hours are always in games. They're always designed really well. You, you got to have a, a strong beginning. Sure, you, you got to hook them. So uh, I just hope that it doesn't slow down too much. I could I could see trailing off and stopping playing it, but um, I'm going to keep at it for now. Nice. Someday I'll play through all of the Final Fantasy. I think I've only played the one that in North America is called Final Fantasy 3, which I guess is Final Fantasy 6, actually, and some of Final Fantasy 7, and Chrono Trigger, which is an honorary Final Fantasy game. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about Apex Legends. Apex Legends, the game that has probably occupied most of my gameplay hours uh for the last few months is there a way to tell how many hours you've played in origin that's a great question um i'm gonna look now while we talk um i guess we can is there a way to hit a flag button no you can't uh in this in, in this oh i have to update origin anyway so i can't check um so apex well i've been talking a lot you you start all right so Obviously, at this point, we're we're late to the game um, as far as discussions um, around Apex Legends are concerned, and 
um, I think it's easy to echo a lot of the same things that people have already said about it in the sense that it is, you know, it was a big surprise. Uh, it, it came out without any prior announcement. It, they were like, this game exists and it's out now. <laughs> it was, it was free to play. Um, and, um, nobody really knew anything about it. It takes place in the same universe as, uh, the, um, unfortunately extremely, uh, underrated, um, Titanfall series, which is terrific, particularly Titanfall 2. I really um, want to play Titanfall based on hearing that it has the same kind of general movement and mechanics. It's very similar. I would say even more so because there's a whole thing in Titanfall uh, with wall running and vertic. I mean, there's still verticality in Apex, but um, it's it's even more exaggerated than it is uh, in Apex Legends. You um, can anyway. find you can find your hours. I have 169 hours played. Oh, how do you check that? Uh, if you go to my game library and then right click and then go to show game details. Show game details. 163 hours. Oh man, I have more than you. I'm surprised. Yeah. Because you have a much higher level than I do. Or maybe you don't. Maybe I just thought you did. I don't know. I've played a lot of characters now. But um, anyway, uh, Apex is a game that in many ways has revolutionized the battle royale genre. Um, it added a lot of things that I think the battle royale genre really needed, um, just small quality of life things that are greater than the sum of their parts, uh, like the ping system. Uh, ping system the, is, is going to be yeah multiplayer games forever, I think. Yeah, it is. I, 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 we, we now live in a post-ping system world. Um, I think so. Um, like any game I play now, at least any multiplayer game that I play now, where there isn't a ping system, I'm like, why? Why is there not a ping system? And it's 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 such a simple thing, and it it really is kind of mind boggling to think like that it hadn't really been in games before, or at least not quite as well implemented. Um, I, th I think like PUBG has the the soft marker thing that it can do on the compass, um, but boy howdy, what a useful thing for just communicating with people um, that you're playing with um, and other sort of small things like that make it easier to play with people uh, with randos without having to actually talk to them the ability to um, uh, that your that your uh, your character will sort of make announcements about uh, the environment around them sort of automatically um, and how close you are to the ring things like that um, really helps for people who might not feel comfortable playing with other people online um, but would still like that experience. So that's pretty huge. Um, I mean, I think. I'm comfortable with playing people online. And I'm still happy I'd have to talk to them. Oh yeah. It's just, I mean, some, let's be real. There are people online that are garbage people and sometimes GPs. Uh, yeah, exactly. Without having being, being able to, I think, you know, destiny did this well in the sense that you could play with, you could play with randos without having to talk to them. And it was great. And I think apex continues that tradition, uh, um, which I think, is pretty impressive when you consider how important communication is in a battle royale and you can still successfully play a battle royale game without saying a real real life human word to the other players in your game i wonder if that's the necessity that birthed the ping system is that in destiny a game where you can play it without uh chat even in multiplayer if you're doing end game content like raids, you do need a microphone to be that is true. competitive. I wonder if battle royale games basically just count as end game content for themselves. 
and, and so to even play you, at all. You've posited a very interesting uh, theory here that all that all battle royale games are their own end game content. I like that, and, and 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 at least in terms of communication needs, and I think that's why um, Respawn was like, look, people, this is a squad based game that's extremely competitive and difficult, and so we we need to lower the barrier to entry here a little bit. Similarly, it, similarly how. Bungie tried to do like a guided games concept to, to lower the barrier to entry for end game content in Destiny, but that wasn't really so successful. Imagine if Bungie had instead built a communication system. I think it would be harder to do with a game where the objective is a little bit more mysterious and a little bit more nebulous. Yeah. Um, like when when you play a raid, like <clears throat> the breaking down the mechanics of every encounter is a little you know is a little bit more meticulous and a little bit more difficult to do. Whereas in a battle Royale, the objective is always consistent, um, or at least the broad objective is always consistent. So maybe there's a way to do it. Maybe there's some secret sauce out there that, that somebody will figure out how to do for that. But, um, but it certainly works well in apex. I'll, I'll say that as much. I'm mentally Um, going through the Oryx raid and destiny and thinking about if pings would be useful. I think in some ways they would be like there are there are times when one person like has like a shield and you want everyone to gather, and if you could like ping the shield or like ping your location or something, that would be like. I th- I think it's, I think in any game in any game where you are with another person who has an avatar in the game, where you need to point to where things are happening. Um, that a ping system is useful. I was playing um, Onward, which is a VR game, um, a VR military sim. I was playing it with my friend Brian the other day, um, and we were remarking on how there was no ping system, um, but in VR, you can physically point. So it kind of <laughs> accomplishes this. Like That's why like you don't need a ping system in real life because you can point in directions. Um, whereas in most video games, in most games that aren't VR games, at least where you can't uh, articulate with your hands, um, you don't have the ability to point. Um, you don't have the ability to establish the same kind of frame of reference that we have in the real world. So I think any video game, um, has an opportunity here to learn from how useful a ping system is. Um, and I think it's not going to work in every game. It, It might, you know, change some games in a way that has unforeseen consequences um, that might negatively impact that game. But I think there are a whole lot of games, particularly a whole lot of team-based shooters that will benefit from things like pink systems and will probably incorporate them. One thing I've been thinking a lot about with Apex is also um, how a lot of streamers I watch don't like it, how the skill ceiling is lower. Um, and I think as a pleb, the skill ceiling being lower is good for me because I feel like I can, I just feel better just because I'm, it's more level playing field. Um, Absolutely. And also one of the things that made the skill ceiling high in PUBG, another game that I played a lot of is just basic stuff. Like remembering to load your gun every time the movement has a lot of inertia. Um, the, the way guns fire with different sets of attachments is something you kind of have to memorize. And as I played PUBG a lot, I, was, I just got used to all that stuff. 
And I found that revisiting it after not playing it for a while, I lost all of that. And I feel like I'd say kind of back to square one because it's like a lot of weird stuff to kind of learn to remember. I 100% agree. Like there's so much like minutia you have to know, like which guns used five five six five five six ammo versus seven six two. I totally take that for granted now, but but yeah, that is something you had to learn when right. you started. Which which makes Apex such a more accessible game to the average person. Um, like the fact that it will like I was just recently dipping back into PUBG for the first time after many months of not having played it, and I was um, rudely shaken awake by the fact that holy crap, when I pick up attachments or ammo for my guns, it doesn't just automatically <sighs> assign the right attachment to the guns. I have to like carefully manage how those things, uh, whether or not they're compatible, uh, whether or not they're ideal for the situation um, that I want to uh, utilize them in. Um, it doesn't tell you if the ammo you've picked up is compatible automatically the way PUBG, uh, the way Apex does. Yeah. So... Um, Apex also got to learn from Blackout, um, yep. which tried to solve those problems, but didn't do it as well as Apex did. I think the other sort of big part of Apex that is really successful is its overall sense of mobility. Um, the sliding, <laughs> the sliding is is just every single time I do it, it feels great. I don't know what it is. Oh, it's so good! It's such it's. It just the way the the way that they've made the physics of sliding work um, feels great, and just movement in general feels great. The vaulting system feels yeah. so fluid and nice, uh, especially compared sl- to PUBG's, which is like clunky and awkward by comparison. I think sliding. I think a lot of it is um, sliding wouldn't be so good if its interaction with the rest of the movement wasn't so good. So, for example. In PUBG, if you're running and then you vault, it's like you have to run and then stop and then vault. In Apex, every type of movement runs interacts perfectly. If you're sliding and then you jump onto a wall to climb over it, it will be completely fluid. If you're sliding and then you want to stop and turn around quickly, um, it'll feel very fluid. So it's right. a lot of like everything comes together to make you feel like a superhero. It makes you feel like your momentum is always contributing to to a, a net movement in some way it's as yeah. opposed to like micro movements that are um more isolated yeah it, uh, it's it, it's so fluid that it'll it, you really just feel like um an unstoppable force right um i just want to mention that um in the recent gameplay stream for borderlands 3 um randy pitchford the ceo of gearbox um demonstrated to the audience that uh that borderlands 3 will have sliding and the audience uh broke into applause that's interesting yeah i think it was i think the fact that he chose to highlight that was in my mind at least a direct um reaction to the fact that uh the apex has popularized sliding um, i would like to i'd like to see a video of photorealistic sliding a la apex <laughs> i'm sure some youtuber has tried it maybe in the next marvel movie they'll have that, that superpower for everybody to slide down the hills i would love that superpower um so let's see um we've been talking for about 45 minutes now um mm-hmm. what uh what do you want to talk about next 
I'm not talking about persona. Persona? Persona. 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 I'm trying to remember. I remember my first memory of the series existing was some ad or video or cutscene in a previous Persona game where, like, somebody, like, says persona and and shoots himself in the mouth (laughs) and i was like what the heck is this game i have no idea how this relates to uh anything because persona 5 is my first game in the series and it's so far there has been no shooting yourself um but i just want to even though again we're um uh, probably uh, the majority of people who are interested in it have already played it, but I just want to call out a couple things about it that I think are pretty amazing. Um, one thing is that they're success- they've been successful in making an RPG in a modern setting that actually feels natural. Um, it's really hard to take RPG mechanics and make them feel like they fit in the real world. Um, what are random battles in the real world? Why would you fight... 20 different things walking down the street to your grandma's house. Um, what are weapons in the real world, if not just guns, which would make it a shooter and not a traditional RPG? They have answers to all of those questions in Persona 5, and they're not the obvious answers. They have to design an idea of a game and a world that fits. Um, when you look at other contemporary RPGs that worked, like Earthbound, the answer is aliens. In Persona 5, the answer is more nuanced, but... It, even more interesting, I think. Um, they also were successful in... Probably, uh, there's been a million games that I've played in my life <laughs> that had anime cutscenes. In Persona 5, they successfully made the cutscenes feel like part of the game. Oh, I hear someone knocking on the door. I'll be right back. All right. What Greg doesn't know is that we have sent 1-800-Flowers to his apartment. Let's listen in. Was it one eight hundred flowers? It, I wish. Um, it was. It was a Amazon delivery. Um, the, in, in this place that I moved, they actually bring packages to your door instead of leaving them in the lobby always. Wow, what a novelty! <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't realize they knocked on the door because I'm usually. I was about to say I'm usually at work, which is a lie. Anyway, <laughs> what, was, <laughs> what, what was I saying? You were talking about Persona and uh, and uh, oh yeah, and the, and the anime. anime, the anime, the cutscenes feel like part of the game, even though they're like high production value anime scenes. They they really the style. Maybe it's just a matter of the game's graphics being good enough, but I think it's probably more. It's, I think it's no, I think it's more than that. I think it's also how they use the cutscenes, but it, it's great. Another thing that's great about the game is that they capture this frustration that I can really relate to very deeply, which is a teenager trying to be a good kid, but all of the nothing ever works out, and all the adults treat him like a like a scumbag. And I, they've they've captured that 
through the you know the writing and the character but they've also kept they also have game mechanics that work to make you kind of feel that yourself and not just see it as a story about it like there'll be points where they ask you a question like what's your excuse for being late for school and you have a bunch of plausible answers and then even if you're like oh i picked the plausible answer they still they still have a they're like yeah that that makes sense but you're so late that that can't be it by itself and mm-hmm. so like you, you, you kind of feel they kind of make you feel trapped and through the choice through the choices and usually a dialogue option where you have no winning condition is like a, something that would be considered frustrating but here they're using it to capture they're trying to make you feel a frustration that's part of the story and that's fascinating to me I've uh, I've heard from many people who have played Persona the whole the series as a whole that one of the things they really love about the series um, is that it sort of seamlessly blends this idea of um, you know having this traditional RPG um, traditional RPG elements, but also kind of like just general life sim stuff. Um, yeah, I haven't gotten into it enough to really have done much life sim stuff so i can't speak to it but i see where they're going so that will be interesting i guess i've seen life sim mechanics in the game so far but so far none of them have felt meaningful but i'm very very early i've played a couple hours of it i've heard people say the same thing about the yakuza series as well Hmm. which makes me want to play both of them at some point yeah you should play persona so i can talk about it I will at some point. Selfishly. I've I've been told that I should start with Persona 4, but but if you're enjoying Persona 5 without having played Persona 4, then uh, perhaps perhaps it's a a good, as good as an onboarding point as any. Yeah, I've heard 4 is great too. So I I, I don't think it'd be a wrong choice. I I can only vouch for the one I've played. So speaking of games that have been out for, did you want to say anything (laughs) else about Persona 5? No, that was it. Okay. Well, and speaking of games that have been out for, uh, a little while now, but are still extremely well regarded. I am now uh, diving back into The Witcher 3 for the third time. Um, third time's a charm, just like The Witcher games. Mm-hmm. Um, although Witcher 2 was, I played a little bit of Witcher 2 and I, I thought it was all right. But obviously, Witcher 3 is a whole different uh, can of worms. Yeah. Um, and this time, I actually didn't restart the game all over again. I just picked up from where I had. Uh, when I stopped playing it last summer, I, I realized that I stopped playing it right around the time that um, Octopath Traveler came out, which is not mm. surprising. Although um, you didn't play that very long either. I didn't I play think. that very long either, and I, that's another game that I will eventually. That's that's next on my list to jump back into. Um, but you're playing I, games it, in reverse order. <laughs> it, pretty much, yeah. Um, I'm about thirty or forty hours into the game, and according to the internet, I am still in Act One which is mind-boggling to me because... I don't remember how many acts there are. There are apparently three. I just read, like, I was just like, show me all the missions that are in the game. Don't give me a description of what they're about. I just want to see all the names of the missions and how many there are. And there, I, I'm not even a third of the way through the game um, in terms of the main story. Mm. Um, and there's two additional DLCs um, that were incredibly free that came out for the game. Um, and as is tradition, I'm pretty meticulous when it comes to playing side quests, um, which I think in this case is um, extremely, uh, it, it fits really well um, just because th- this game is kind of a masterclass in side quest creation. In many ways, a lot of the side quests 
um, are better than the main quest, at least of what I've played of it so far. Um, every single one um, is is fleshed out. Um, they're interesting characters, um, even if they're relatively short. Some of the quests, like it's just like, oh, my husband's missing. Can you, we last saw him over here in the woods? Can you go and find him? And like, I go and find him, and sure enough, he's been eaten by wild dogs. And it's like maybe like a two or three minute quest, but um, this it's uh the writing of this character and sort of the the heaviness in their um their emotions and um and just the the realness of the world uh all sort of come together to make it feel like it's something meaningful as opposed to um you know something just sort of trite and and boring as are many side quests and many games of similar scope um so I, th I think I think it's important to have quests actually that are kind of like that because um, in the real world there are things that are short and mundane as well, but still potentially you know have a lot of gravity. Um, even if you're just dipping into uh, somebody's life for a second, as as Carol often does. I'm trying to remember if we talked about this on the podcast earlier, but in, in case we did, I'll just be quick about it. Um, Witcher Three is the perfect format for an open world game because the monster of the week episodic nature of the source material and the the game is perfect for things to do as you explore the world discover the the loop of hear about a monster research it fight it then all there's also negotiate your your price in there that loop is works so well works and great. and um it, it means one's play session of a long open world game can be very satisfying uh, contrast with um, Mass Effect Andromeda, which did the exact opposite. Um, every quest happens in parallel, and so you never feel finished with everything until you're through most of the game. From what I'm told, I didn't play it that long because I, I didn't like it. And then I, I can't also help. I can't also help but compare it to a game like Skyrim, where Skyrim certainly has many accolades, and I absolutely loved Skyrim. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like the there was a very defined critical path in skyrim and there were maybe you know outside of the main story like maybe a dozen or so side quests that felt like they had any real need on them um, i i never i played skyrim for 80 hours and i never played the second story mission wow i only that, I mean, that just game went... is just as big in many ways yeah, I just traveled the world and had fun. And there's a lot of interesting quests you can do. Like, I think there's a, I remember there's a whole a whole bunch of stuff about the rebellion and the war or whatever was going on, the main political backdrop. Um, I was able to get involved in it despite not p playing the main storyline. I think it's a different kind of experience in Skyrim where you're creating your own character as opposed to The Witcher where you're playing an existing character and you're sort of inserting yourself um, in all of this pre-existing lore and story. Um, so you, you, you don't have to sort of approach it from the same kind of tabula rasa, um, standpoint that you have, um, with, with games like Skyrim and, and really yeah. any of the Bethesda games. Skyrim lets you use your imagination in a different way, which is also good. Um, I'll also say that it is an incredibly beautiful game and on my PC with my new, well, not new, but new for me at least, 1080 Ti graphics card. It runs just incredibly um, like a dream. Uh, I can set all the settings to Ultra, and I'm getting like 80 or 90 FPS, even at 
1440p resolution. I remember um, there were a lot of times when I was playing that game where I'd be it's in a beautiful scene, either a house that's like sumptuously decorated or just crappy, but they have a fireplace and a table with some nice looking progies or just walking through the forest or I, I find an interesting hilltop. There were just a lot of times in the game where I just stopped and looked at it. Yeah, it should have a photo mode. Hopefully the next Witcher game does. And speaking of upcoming games oh, from yeah, CD Projekt Red, um, I, every every minute of this game that I play just makes me more and more excited for Cyberpunk 2077. When does that come out? Uh, we do not know yet. Oh, someday. we will. We will hopefully uh, get some more information on that game at E3 uh, in a week or two. I don't like how long games go without release dates these days. If if Cyberpunk 20, even if Cyberpunk 2077 is just and I don't think it will be, but even if it was just The Witcher 3 in a cyberpunk world, I would be happy to wait for as long as it takes for it to be as good as The Witcher 3 is. And But I think I think it's going to probably be an even larger game than Witcher and, and probably a much more different experience, much more. It's, it seems like it's going to be um, much more in line with a game like skyrim or a bethesda game in the sense that it is sort of just like uh, a traditional rpg where you're creating a character from scratch as far as i know i i just looked up when final fantasy 7 was announced and it was final fantasy 7 remake and it was four years ago i'm pretty sure uh cyberpunk 2077 was also announced in like 2012 or 2013 originally what i'm pretty sure it's been i'm pretty sure it's been in development since before the witcher 3 came out which was 2015 that doesn't make sense it's definitely well i I guess it depends on what they mean by in development Uh, who knows yeah i mean it's a you know just a word that yeah, like, in development it's like somebody so the concept artist or hard at work <laughs> anyway um moving right along here i also wanted to quickly touch on um the ocul the new oculus headsets of which i have now had access and time with both of them the oculus rift s and also the oculus quest um i own the rift s myself uh, as now a replacement for my original oculus rift um, and I bought a Quest at work um, because we we uh, run a small uh, lending uh, collection for students to take equipment from at the school that I work at. Um, so the Rift S um, is the PC tethered virtual reality headset, the new one. Um, and it's definitely a pretty significant upgrade over the original Rift in terms of its graphical fidelity. Uh, it's significantly easier to read text that was always something that bothered me about vr is just like trying to read like even just ui elements was always the the resolution was just so low right i mean it wasn't like impossible but it was definitely tricky like you really had to have your headset at exactly the right sweet spot um to to even have it be um you know any any any, uh, even a modicum of legibility um, so they've really, you know, there's there's a, a modest increase to resolution, but it's gone a long way in terms of um, just overall sharpness of the, at least for me, uh, to my eye. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I would say the other huge upgrade is the fact that there are no external sensors. Um, with the original Oculus Rift, you had to have at least two sensors to do head and hand tracking. And if you wanted to do full room scale tracking, you really need to have a third sensor. And they all connected to your computer via USB port. So you had to have a USB port for the headset and then three additional USB ports for each sensor. So four that's total. A, that's, also, that's a lot. Yeah, it was pretty bonkers. Uh, now the the Rift S uses an inside-out tracking system, as, as they call it. So there are four or five cameras actually mounted on the headset itself. Um, so it's able to track its own position in space as well as your hands um, completely on its own. Um, and it does it really, really well, just as good as, as the uh, external sensors, in my opinion. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, it, um, it's great. Um, it also has a few small quality of life things. The fact that it does have external cameras means that um, you can you can press the Oculus Home button twice, and you can get a pass through uh, into the real world, which is fantastic. If you need to like quickly take a drink or check your phone <laughs> or um, make sure you don't step on your cat, uh, which are all <laughs> things that happen when you're playing VR. Um, so it's it's really great to be able to sort of quickly step back into the real world. Um, um, so if you, if you have an Oculus Rift, um, or I should say, if you have an Oculus Rift and you have an extra 400 bucks to spend and you're really into it, you should definitely get, uh, an Oculus Rift S. Um, if you are, if you, if you have a high power PC and you want to get into VR, uh, Oculus Rift S is a fantastic choice and, um, for 400 bucks, um, it's definitely worth it. Um, the quest on the other hand. I think is a product that will really appeal to people who don't have PCs um, because it's a completely standalone device. Uh, it is. It has much of this. It uses the same inside-out tracking tech that the Rift S uses, um, but it's its own piece of hardware. It's a little bit heavier than the S for that reason, um, just because it's. It, it also is. You know, its own little mini computer attached to your face, um, but it's still very comfortable to wear. Um, and it's the first time I've ever played VR with absolutely no wires, um, which is a pretty incredible thing. Um, even on the new Rift S and on um, the HTC Vive and every other uh, vir virtual reality headset that I've ever used, you always feel like you have to. You're, you're sort of tethered back to reality, no pun intended, by this cable. Um, whereas with the Quest, you can literally move. You have 360 degrees of motion. Um, without having to worry about tripping on a cable, um, without having to worry about pulling it uh, out of your PC. Um, so you, you can really sort of experience VR from a very pure standpoint, and it, it be, allows you to become much more immersed in, in what you're seeing. It's also a significant downgrade in terms of graphics, but that's sort of to be expected just given that it's a you know, mobile device as opposed to a, a giant beefy PC rig. Um, and I think it might be the device that uh, helps VR break into a, to a more mainstream audience. It's, it costs four hundred dollars as well. The same thing as the. I uh, think the only thing that could break VR to a mainstream audience is in the software world. There has to be something software-wise that makes oh, the mainstream audience want it. And I don't know what that would be. Yeah, I think I think it's it's definitely not going to happen overnight. And I don't think the Quest is <clears> the the thing that will necessarily bring it to the masses, but I think it will definitely do a lot to widen the audience and the appeal of VR. 
um, just from a price point perspective and just from like an accessibility standpoint. But yes, I think you're right. If it's really going to catch on, it's going to have to be a piece of software, some, some, uh, you know, game that really, uh, sells that and drives that hardware. Um, however, I will say that there are a number of really great games for it. Um, uh, such as it has its own sort of closed app store. So it's, it's, it, it's uh, a little bit more limited than the regular uh, Oculus app store right now, but you've got super hot VR, which is an incredible game. Such a, such a fun game. Um, you've got robo recall. Um, you've got beat saber, which I've played for the first time recently, which is if you haven't played before, it's basically like guitar hero with lightsabers and it is fucking wild and so much fun to play and i want to i want to bring it out at a party sometime because it's just it's a blast Um, and there's also a bunch of really great vr games coming out for both the rift s and the quest Uh, i think i don't know if all of these are available uh for the quest but definitely for pc-based vr systems you've got stormlands uh defector asgard's wrath and also a really really cool um vr um sort of playground called boneworks that is setting itself up to be sort of like the next generation of vr um, interactivity and environments with regard to how you can interact with the world um i won't get into into it too deeply here until i've played it but if you google 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 boneworks and check out videos of it it's very cool i'm gonna watch one yeah so boneworks youtube we're gonna have a live Greg reacts. Okay, let's let's do it. All right, here we go. Is this with guns? Uh, some of it's with guns, but they they have it. Kind of the aesthetic really reminds me of um, like Portal and like Half Life and um, and just very. What I'm looking very, at is this is this a guy shooting guns. I mean, a lot of the earlier tech demos were just um, guys shooting guns. Um, one of the things they've they've sort of stated is their goal is to have it be like the best VR guns that exist, but it's not just guns. Um, there's also like puzzle solving and there are other melee weapons too that you can use. Like I saw one of the videos that, that really sold it on me was a guy stabbing a robot with a broadsword. <laughs> I, I, I do like that. Yeah. This video I'm watching doesn't have any robots or broadswords, so I'll look more at it later. Yeah. It's good. It's definitely, it, I mean, it may, it, it kind of looks like for now that it's, it's a little bit tech demo-y, but uh, it definitely, even that just gives, gives it a lot of promise. Um, also, man, how much time we got? A million uh, hours. A million hours. All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about Dead Cells very quickly, and then we're going to dive into Sea of Thieves. Um, I finally beat the main story in Dead Cells. Um, Dead Cells, if you haven't played it, is a 2D um what's the best way to describe what dead cells is it's like a metroidvania-esque game rogue Um, legacy metroidvania (laughs) yeah um actually i don't know about i don't know if it's metroidvania i think broadly you could say it's metro it definitely has has, metroidvania elements i I would i would say uh the the most the, the part of it that is most that matters most to me besides like for you know setting aside like what is it called when you can f- fight through randomly generated dungeons over and over and get progressively further each time um, it's really this the core platforming and fighting that makes the game good to me oh yeah um, absolutely the fighting I, and its movement are amazing yeah the it's it's it, honestly it's like 
if Apex Legends was a 2D platformer. That's an um, excellent way of putting it. Just just the the roll dodges and jump moving quickly around enemies and rolling past somebody and slicing their back and then jumping up. Like it's it's very fluid. It's very satisfying. And it's just uh um it interacts with the combat really well. I've I've now played it enough that I have unlocked some of the most powerful and impressive weapons that the game has to offer. Um, and because of that, um, I've, it, it has really allowed me to, and also just from getting better and better playing the game in general, um, it's gotten to a point where I can fairly consistently do a run and beat the main final boss. Um, as long as I get like, uh, like I, I, I've sort of found like a, a build or a few a build with a few alternates that works really well just like finding combinations of like weapons that uh synergize well together like if you have a um like a turret that um shoots uh shoots blaze that, that cause bleeding and then you get a sword that does like plus 175 percent damage to a bleeding target like when you get those kinds of massive damage multipliers you can really start to just like eat enemies for breakfast um and it makes you feel like an absolute badass um so a game that i love to play i love to put on a podcast and listen to it because you don't really like there's no real plot um there's a lot of like sort of subtle world building in the game in terms of the environmental design and the uh the level design um but there's not like a whole lot of there's no dialogue there's some written dialogue um but you don't really have to play it for <laughs> plot at all um so it's the a great animation game. of the main character point at pointing at himself is the main plot right. the only only thing i remember is just like oh he has that's like his personality to me it's like <laughs> i think there is like a little bit of a plot if you really dive into it like if you go into like the dead cells wiki but but in terms lore, of that's just, that's lore that's, that's the lore <laughs> yeah um but in terms of just your your general the general way you interact with the game um it's really a fantastic game to just hack and slash your way through and and, and put on music or a podcast and i I don't think I'll ever get tired of it for that reason. Um, at the same time, despite becoming uh, an epic badass in the game, I was uh, recently uh, brought back down to earth by the new DLC, which is called Rise of the Giant, um, which is absolutely punishingly brutal. Um, and uh, I have gotten to the main boss in that several times now, and I die within seconds every single time, um, even with the most badass weapons and best techniques that I'm able to muster. Um, so it's it's cool that they've added a whole new level of challenge for people that have really sort of uh sunk time in the game and sort of uh squeeze a lot of the existing content uh, what's the point of skins in that game uh they're purely aesthetic um th- that's a new thing that they added to the game they in addition what's to the rise point of, the Giant, of them existing do, are they like tied into money somehow or like are they achievements or um you get them from beating certain bosses and doing certain achievements Okay, so the the, the in game rewards basically exactly yeah. Um, there's no there's no loot boxes. There's no pay to win in um, in no uh, no, no microtransactions of any kind. Correct. It's just uh, they just added skins because they thought it was something cool that it would cool. be a cool way to reward you. Um, and you can, it's, and, it's funny and, how skins has become a dirty word for me at this point. It's like yeah. oh, the skins. What's going on here? No, no, no. It's very wholesome. <laughs> um, all right. Um, do you want to briefly talk talk about Sea of Thieves? Yeah, sure. And how we've gotten back into it a little bit. I mean, we haven't played it a whole lot more, but we had a really fun adventure where we um, where had the 
went to a volcanic island and spent a long time trying to get some chests off of it. <laughs> yes. It was probably like two or three hours of gameplay that we uh, sunk into that little that one adventure. It was, that was the thing I liked most about that was that this is probably, we could probably look up an optimal way to do it, but we had a lot of fun trying to create a, an effective strategy to solve the problem at hand. And that's something that, um, is rare in, well, PvE scenarios in games these days. <laughs> in PvP, you obviously have to adapt and strategize because you never know what a human being is going to do. But this was a case where there were no other players and we had no idea what was the right way, where the treasures were, the right way to get them, the right way to avoid the volcano, should we use a small boat what to get through the boiling water, where should we park, and had to do a lot of problem solving that was actually satisfying to figure out. Oh yeah. Um, it was, it was, you know, it was a lot of brutal trial and error um, to some extent, like figuring out like how far away can we have the ship from the Island before it stops getting hit by exploding um, rocks from the volcano. But um, you know, that, that just, just even something as, um, as relatively straightforward as that was, was um, fun to sort of uh, to dial out. It's interesting. I don't know if it's always been like this or if I just feel this way, but I feel like games have don't don't like um if if there's hard content in games, I feel like it's usually performance based, like execution based, I mean. Like can you accomplish the thing with your thumbs? It's rare that I find difficult content and PVE type experiences where it's actually problem solving. Because I feel like maybe it's always been this way, maybe it's not, but I feel like a lot of hard content is like just frustrating and you you look it up on Google and then you're like, oh, I never would have figured this out and I just had to Google it. Um, right. Whereas I'm the, sure there's uh, like a bunch of different ways we could have we could have approached uh, the problem that we uh, were up against. Yeah. I'm still thinking, like, what other games have I had that kind of experience in lately? I can't really think of any. I can't think of anything either. Um, it's definitely, it's pretty unique in, in, I think, the way they've designed Sea of Thieves. Um, and I think it took them really going off the beaten track in order to give me give us that kind of experience. I'm really glad that it now has, that, that I think, uh, what, what we're really describing um, when we're talking about all these this adventure, this epic adventure that we went on is the new tall tales system in sea of thieves, which is the first time sea of thieves has really interjected, um, like a formal story campaign into the game. Like you've had sort of one-off missions and fetch quests and stuff that you do to gain rep, uh, since day one. But this is the first time where like, you felt like, okay, we're kind of like, unraveling a, a mystery step by step here oh i think the mission i was thinking about wasn't part of that but that system is very cool too it was it i can't remember now i don't think it was i think we were just trying to find treasures on the wrong island <laughs> maybe you're right in any event sea of thieves is 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 a whole lot deeper and more fun to explore than it was um when it first came out so if you haven't played it uh since uh the initial round of uh, content, then uh, now is a great time to get back into it. 
for anyone who remembers, it feels like the difference between Assassin's Creed 1 and Assassin's Creed 2, except it's the same game with free updates. Yes. They're, the developers for Sea of Thieves are extremely passionate. They put out video updates on the status of the game every single week, and, and you can tell that they really love it, and they are should watch uh, those. excited to, to, to be making the game. Uh, I'm also excited to try I haven't tried it yet, but it's it's uh, from the videos uh, I've watched of it, it sounds like the arena mode is a lot of fun, and I, I want to give that a try. Even if it's something that I'm not going to do all the time, I, I definitely uh, want to give it the, the old call to try at some point. Cool. I think okay. that's a podcast. I think that that's let's put, let's put a bow on that. Let's put a bow on it. Uh, can it be an orange bow? Uh, it can be. You know what? It's going to be a bow that uh, is a color that 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 human speech cannot describe. Okay. The omnicolor. Well, if you have a mantis shrimp at home, maybe they will en- enjoy this episode. <laughs> That's um, true. They can see weird colors that we can. I forgot. About oh that. man, that's got to be a weird subjective experience for it's so wild. Um, maybe in another life I'll be a mantis shrimp and I'll enjoy the colors, but probably not anything else. Isn't there also a shrimp that can like bang its head against things like faster than the speed of a bullet? Is that the same shrimp? Uh, I think that's called a bullet shrimp. <laughs> I think you know. No, right. no, I'm thinking of bullet ants. Yeah, that's. Uh, Shrimp break glass. I know what you're talking about. I don't think it's any of the things we've said. It's a mantis shrimp. Got it. Is that the same thing we were just saying? Maybe. I don't remember what what words we were using a second ago. I cannot. I cannot either. Well, now that we've gotten that out of the way. Maybe we'll just uh, cut the whole section out. No, no, I'm not ashamed. Bring it on. don't, Don't at me. Actually, Stay do at me. I'll talk. Yeah. I'll talk to you about it. Don't. Yeah, I'm I mean, not, I'm a, not there, on Twitter. The, the, I'm sure the the shrimp community is really gonna, you know, uh, get out. Send to the us a letter, pitchfork, and I'll pitchforks. send you a letter back. I'm not afraid. Anyway, um, thank you uh, for listening to our podcast. Um, please subscribe to it and uh, uh, list on whatever podcast service you listen to podcasts on please subscribe to it i need you to subscribe to it more than anything and if you don't subscribe to it i'll die yeah his his greg greg uh signed a deal with the devil and his life force is tied to the success of the podcast Uh, if you don't give me likes and shares it's kind of as if i didn't get vitamin c i'll get scurvy yeah Exactly. Just to, every every missed sub is just a little bit of his skin flakes off. And the problem is that the upvotes are like vitamin B B twelve. So if I don't get those, I get neurological problems. It's really no good. Oh boy, you've you've completely entangled your entire physical well being with the podcast and and any any uh, adverse manifestations therein. And don't get me get me started on the the heartbeats. Those those are those are like a, a short term problem. So please subscribe. Or, or again, I will literally he will he will the podcast will be we not not just the podcast will end, but his 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 life on on this planet will end. The reason I did all that is because I don't like asking people to do things. So do whatever the heck you want. I don't actually care. Um, thanks for what's the how do you pronounce the fellow's name who did the our new our new I, theme I, song? Be, I believe this is this is my best guess that it is Rashad E B. Um, that sounds it sounded confident. So I, I believe it. 
um, just based on the, the the spelling at least. Um, but thank thank Rashad, um, thanks to Rashad for his the use of his amazing cover, uh, of Field of Hopes and Dreams, um, which is originally written by Toby Fox from the Delta Rune soundtrack. You can check out. Uh, Rashad EB on YouTube and Spotify, um, and I think probably a bunch of other places like Bandcamp and just just Google him. You'll you'll find his stuff. It's it's really great. He does a lot of really cool um, metal covers of of songs. It's really fantastic. He, he's the same guy who did the cover of <clears throat> the World Revolving, right? Oh yeah, yep. yep. Oh man, I listened to that like a hundred times. I, I damaged my hearing because of that song. It was so good. It's really it, he he does he's done covers of most of the songs off of the Deltarune and Undertale soundtracks, um, as well as a bunch of other video games. So uh, it, it's it's really good, and the production value of his videos and his recordings uh, are re- is really fantastic as well. So definitely check it out, and also play Deltarune and Undertale if you have not. They're both great. All right, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Bye, bye. <laughs>